Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Everyone, uh, my name is Anthony, one of the pastors here, and it is great to be here this uh, beautiful day, this beautiful Sunday. We do. I want to make a quick announcement before we get into the message, and that is to do with the angel tree as well as the presents that we brought in, uh, people gave for the homeless, uh, the foundation that we were supporting there. We're, about 60 gifts were actually taken already yesterday, and so those gifts were taken by the, the homeless foundation, which they're setting up. I think they're setting up a Christmas party, and there'll be gifts going out there. So thank you for everyone who donated gifts to that. Uh, there's around about 60, no, 40 gifts here, 45 gifts here, and I think there's a few more that have to come. So just over 100 gifts have gone out from the people of Lakeside to various uh, uh, things, different areas, which is awesome. These are the ones that were the angel tree gifts, and these are the ones that we have to deliver. We'll be delivering them individually. So what I, what I wanted to do is just pray again as those gifts go out in the coming weeks, that that as uh, the children open these gifts, that that it will obviously bring them great joy to receive a gift, but also that in in and through this, uh, God will work. And so how about we do that? Is that right? Let's pray. Most gracious Father, we thank you that we have means and resources that can be used uh, as as a form of goodness or an act of goodness that can reflect you. Uh, Father, not everyone has those resources, whether it be financial or or the ability to do things. So we thank you that we are a people who can do that. Lord, we pray right now, we don't know the families that will be receiving these gifts. We don't know the children that will be receiving these gifts as well as the homeless shelter gifts, Lord, but you do. Father, you say in your word that every single person is being created in your image, therefore have worth and value, therefore should be respected or be shown respect and have dignity, Lord. And so, Father, we pray as these gifts are received, as they're opened, Lord, that they would be received in in the way that they've been given to bring celebration and joy and excitement and happiness. Lord, we do really pray that that's what would happen as these these young kids have had it tough for different reasons, Lord, uh, would would experience excitement and happiness by opening this gift, Lord, and, and be able to play and enjoy uh, what, what kids should be doing, enjoying uh, these gifts and being children, Father. And Father, we also pray that in and through this, Lord, again, we don't know their story, but that through this, Lord, you would use it for the bigger picture, for the bigger story, that they would receive the ultimate gift, which is you, Lord, that is open and available to every single one, Father, that they would experience it in their homes, They would experience it in their lives, whether it be through their parents, having their lives radically transformed, Father. But it would be real and active. We ask this, Lord, because we believe this is a prayer that you'd want us to pray for these people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. The other thing is, I think Braden did mention in the announcements that if you would like to give one of these gifts, we need to talk to Sarah or contact the church office and we'll arrange that. That would be great. Okay, I don't know if you remember this song up here on the screen. This was a song by uh, Joan Osborne. I think the title was What If God Was One Of Us. You remember that song? If God Was One Of Us, Just A Fool Like One Of Us. There's a, there's a, there's a key verse. Is that a verse? Is that what you call that in, in song? language. Uh, It goes like this, if God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see it? If a seeing meant believing that that you'd have to believe in things like heaven and in Jesus and the saints and all the prophets. Do you remember, hands up if you remember that song. Hands up if that song's now going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. If God was one of us. It's quite an interesting song. If God had a face, what would it look like? And if seeing that face meant that you'd have to believe in things like heaven and, and in Jesus and, and the saints and all the prophet, one of the things that I get as, uh, as being a pastor is people say, if only, if only Jesus or only if God would show me, if he, he would show me he was real, then I would believe. And I, and I think to a certain degree, a lot of people would. But in the same sense, if seeing meant believing and then committing your life, would you actually do that? We see that even in the life of Jesus. People saw Jesus. 
People experienced Jesus. They, they saw him do incredible things, yet they still didn't believe. If God had a face, would you want to see it if seeing meant believing? And I think as humans, this is one of the questions that we've kind of asked and wrestled with throughout all of humanity. What does God look like? What is, what is the face of God? And throughout human history, every culture, every nation, every people group have kind of wrestled with this and put together an image or a picture of what God looks like. And we come up with things like the golden calf, a golden calf, remember that in the Bible, they made this idol and this was God and they worshipped this. Or, or no, 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 he doesn't look like a golden calf, he looks like a, like a, like a chubby Buddha. Maybe that's what God is. Or, or no, 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 it's more, more like Zeus, strong and long hair and the God of the sea with a, with a lightning bolt uh, holding his, in his hand. Or, or maybe he has four arms and, and the head of an elephant. Or maybe, maybe he's, he looks like an angry volcano. And again, throughout humanity and throughout human history, humans have tried to put together what does God look like? If God had a face, what would it look like? Is he a God to be avoided? Is he a God to be pampered? Is he a God to, to be dreaded and be afraid of? Is he a God to be appeased? That we would bring these, these mere little offerings to appease God. Please, if I bring you this, you won't hurt me and my life will be good. If you've been to Bali, you'll, you'll see these little idols. I remember we went to Bali a few years ago, two years ago, and uh, there were these kind of little um, idols or, or, or things that they worship. I don't know if you've got it there up on the screen, Campbell. No, you don't? That's what it looks like. Um, I took the photo at night, so you probably won't see it. But you've been to Bali, they have these little statues of different gods, and they bring their little offerings of food or, or a bit of watermelon or whatever, and then a little incense too. And again, it's, it's appeasing God. This is what, they, what God is, and so we have to, to bring good luck or to blessing to our family. You know, when we look in the scriptures... We see the Old Testament of God working and moving through the people of Israel and there's this, this time or it's building up to something great. It's building up to what? It's building up to seeing God, to seeing that God has a face and that is Jesus. And right, the Old Testament is pointing towards this time where Jesus, God will send his son, Jesus, the Messiah, the Saviour, the Rescuer. And if you look at the Old Testament, if you open up, if you have a Bible, and a pro well, I want to say a proper Bible, as in not one on your phone, you'll see the Old Testament, then there's a page, and then it starts the New Testament. And that actual page represents 400 years where God was silent. Around about 400 years where the people of Israel didn't hear from any prophets or, or from God, and God was silent. They wondered what was going on. And then we get that breakthrough. The New Testament. What is the New Testament? How does it start? It starts with the Gospels. It starts with, with Jesus being born. It's the Christmas story. If God had a face, what would it look like? And if, if seeing that face meant believing, would you want to see it? Now, you know, the, you know the Christmas story. You know it well. You're probably going to hear it a hundred times in the next four weeks, even from this stage. We just heard one of the passages there, the encounter with the shepherds and the angels. But you know the story with Mary. Mary is this young, peasant, teenage girl. And uh, we read that an angel named Gabriel goes to Mary. Now, if you see an angel on any given day, it's probably a good day. You're having a good day. If an angel comes to talk to you, maybe a little bit scary, which she does get a little bit scared. But if it's Gabriel, that's, that's like one of the, he's in the top three angels. You know, it's like LeBron James and Michael Jordan. These are the angels of angels. Gabriel, the angel, comes and talks to Mary. This teenage girl who lives in this tiny, tiny little town, a blink town. You know what a blink town is? You kind of blink when you're driving past and you've missed it. That's what Nazareth is or was. hundred people max, they reckon, in this town. And that's where Mary lives. Again, she's pledged to be married. We know that she's a virgin. She's a follower of Yahweh. And we read that she's highly favoured. And she freaks out. And this is where we pick up the story. Luke chapter 1, 30 uh, to 33. I'll read from 
Actually, I'll read from the screen. Oh, there we go. Mary, so the angel has come to her. Gabriel has come to her and says, Mary, you have found favour with God. That word favour is grace. You have found grace with God. We don't know what, what is it. Grace is free. So God has seen something in Mary as well. To, to choose her to, to play this incredible role in human history. The mission of God saving his people. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's a pretty impressive resume. You're going to have a son. It's going to, you're going to call him Jesus, which means saviour as well. In other, trans, other stories we hear that Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Uh, you, he'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high, which is God. And this, is, this is, you know, if you, if you had a child or son that you, and God come and said he's going to go to Wesley College and, and he's going to get a, a degree and a master's and a PhD, he's going to earn $500,000 a year, you'd be pretty excited. But this is so much more significant than this. Mary, you're going to give birth to God. That's, that's what, what this angel is saying. And then we read, obviously, Mary is taken back a little bit. Whoa, easy. Whoa, what's going on here? How can this be? I'm a virgin. What's going on? And she's afraid. And then we continue to read. What does the angel say? The angel says, firstly, the angel says, do not be afraid. But then it goes on and says, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That the Holy Spirit, God will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then the angel goes on and explains that your cousin, she had a cousin, Elizabeth, she too, you know, she's been barren, meaning she could not have children, is also pregnant. She's a, she's a bit ahead of you. And she's going to give birth to, to someone who will come before Jesus, and that is John the, the, the baptizer. Not, not John the Baptist, he probably didn't go to a Baptist church, but he was a baptizer, he baptized people. Well, she's going to have a, she's going to have a child as well. And then right at the end, we get this incredible encouragement for nothing is impossible with God. And maybe that's all you need to hear this morning. That last verse, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. Nothing. Not some things, not a little bit. Nothing is impossible with God. So what is, what is the author saying? What is God saying? He's saying that God has been reduced or will be reduced to a single heartbeat. That God would have a face. God would have a face. This is one of my favorite passages, John chapter 1, verse 14. It says this. It says, the word, uh, which is Jesus, uh, who is God. I, I think you should have that text up there, Campbell. Turn, next slide. Hey, there it is. This is one of my favorite passages. The start of this passage says, in the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so I've added some things here in the yellow. It says, the Word, who is the Word, Jesus, who is God, became flesh, uh, meaning God has a face. God become human and made his dwelling among us. Dwelling means to come to us. That literally means that God moved into the suburbs, that he pitched his tent up. He became a part of that community. Now you may ask the question, but does God still come close today? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He still comes close today. I love the, the way the message translated there. It says, the word became fleshed and moved into our neighborhood. Success at well. Borigoon. Imagine Jesus walking around Garden City. That he moved into our neighborhood. The, the, the universe, the creator of the universe comes down to us as one of us. Now the theological term, anyone know what the big theological term is for this? Incarnation. It sounds so much better when you say incarnation, doesn't it, than God becoming human. Um, it's, it's a thick word, it's a rich word, it's, a, it's an incredible word and we can just say it, but God is clothed with skin. And if we've if we, we got to try to grasp the meaning and, and every Christmas get a fresh perspective what that actually means because that should blow us away. 
the incarnation, the Latin term in and carna meaning meat or, or flesh, in the flesh. The God becomes man, the God becomes flesh in Jesus and he starts as a baby. Just like every single one of us. Did any one of us here not start as a baby? Great. <laughs> so we're just like Jesus. Jesus comes as a baby. He experiences all of that. Jesus comes as a baby. And that's the core message of Christmas. Look what J.I. Packer says here about the incarnation. Great quote. Uh, J.I. Packer's an Anglican theologian. He says, The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And that's even hard to get our head around. What, what, what did that look like? What did that, you know, mean? Had to be learn, learn how to walk, but he could walk on water. The more you think about it, the, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. And, and, and think of this. Think about it like this. For nine months... For nine months, Mary carried God around in her womb. Nine months. Now, I don't want to put her on the spot, but I'm going to. Where's Natalie Backshaw? Can you stand up, Nat? Sorry. How many weeks pregnant are you? Ten months. So she's, it gets a little bit, especially in this heat, doesn't it? Mary, sorry, you're a good sport. I appreciate that. There's a little baby in there brewing. How awesome is that? that? Think of it from Mary's perspective. For nine months, she carried around Jesus in her womb. God was dependent on Mary. Wherever Mary went, guess what? God went as well. When Mary went to get water, guess who went to get water with her? God. When Mary prepared food for dinner and for lunch and all that, God was right there. Mary felt kick and, and a move and, and a push to have much of those. Okay, you feeling all right? I don't want anything happening right now. Okay, good. Okay. It needs to come out. Mary felt everything. Everything mums feel. If you're a mum and you've been through that, you know what it's like. Mary felt all of that. And I reckon for nine months, nine months, just like any other mum, what do mums and dads do? They, wait, they can't wait to what? To see. To see their baby. I wonder what it's going to look like. I wonder, you know, some baby, everyone says babies are cute. Some aren't, though. No one actually says that, but do they? The parents probably do. You're like, oh, that's good baby. But as a parent, you're like, I can't wait to see the face of my child. Mary, I reckon, would have been thinking exactly the same. Maybe she was asking herself uh, the, the question, like, what is, what is Jesus going to look What is God going to look like? Did she grasp that? I don't know. But she did have an angel come and talk to her. What is, what is he going to look like? What is the face of God going to look like? Around that time, again, we read... Uh, as you know, the story that there's a census called. Have you, ever seen, have you ever seen one of these? If you've had a child, this is an ultrasound image. Nowadays, you can get 3D images, can't, can't you? And you can actually see the... They didn't have that in Nazareth. The, the local hospital didn't have that facility. Um, but so she would have been thinking and guessing, what does my baby look like? Now, after the nine months, we, we read and know the story that there's a, there's a census called... Uh, Mary is obviously betrothed to be married to Joseph. There's a whole other side story of the, the amount of bullying that would have happened there because she was seen as having a, a, a child out of wedlock that she would have had to go for all that. They, they, the census called. Everyone has to go to their hometown. They go to Bethlehem because of Joseph. You know the story. They get there. There's no room at the inn. It's like trying to find a parking at Carousel on a Saturday. Nothing there. And eventually they get, they get a room uh, in, in, in a barn, whether it's a barn or a cave or, or a part of a house where you keep animals. And again, there's much debate about that. Who cares? It's where they keep animals. And, and that's where we, we find and read that the creator of the universe, the son of God, is born. He arrives into a poor rural family, no wealth, no palace, just a barn. 
I was reading when Queen, uh, Queen, uh, Queen, Queen Elizabeth came to Australia. Not, she was here not long ago when Colin Barnett was the first. Before that she came, uh, she brought two tons of l- luggage, 2,000 kilos of luggage she brought with her. Uh, it included two outfits for every occasion. She also brought uh, a, a funeral outfits just in case someone died. They brought 20 litres of plasma for her in case she needed plasma. And not as in the TV, as in blood. Um, she had her own toilet seat covers. All this, 2,000 kilos of luggage. But Jesus comes, the King of Kings, and what does he do? Doesn't bring anything, just him. In a stable right there, in a, in a feeding trough, that's where I'll sleep. No security guards, no press release, no royal parade. Mary's been waiting for this for three, uh, nine months, holding on what will Jesus look like. Now, we don't know what Mary's first spoken words were. The Gospels don't record what she said when she saw baby Jesus. Maybe she thought, oh, it's not as cute as I thought. But I reckon there's a good chance, and I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination, that she may have said something like, wow, so this is what God looks like. This is what God looks like. That God has a face. Here's my my point this morning. Because of Christmas, God has a face. Because of Christmas, God has a face. Look what Hebrews 1.3 says. It says this, that the, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Now that word radiance there is is is. It's not a reflected brightness. A reflected brightness is like the moon. The the moon has no inherent brightness of its own. It only reflects the brightness from what? The sun. Whereas the sun here, as in the sun, Jesus, has, has his own radiance. His own inherent brightness. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Why? Because he is God. And it says there, and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. That that Greek word there, I think it's the only time that it's used in the New Testament. It has this concept again of exact representation. Express image of his personhood. Exact likeness of God's being. The very image of his substance. The exact character of God is, is in Jesus now, this isn't a family resemblance. You know when you say, oh, you look like your mum or you look like your dad or, or you look like whatever. Um, it's not a family resemblance. It's not saying, oh, Jesus, there's a family resemblance with God. No, it's the exact representation. Like a lot of people say, my, I have my dad's nose. That's my dad. Uh, and he does have a nose, quite lengthy, I suppose. And, and then this is me here. I, I don't actually see... Whether I do, hands up if you think I've got the same nose as my dad. Hands up if you think I don't. Oh, it's split. It's about right. My dad looks younger than me, doesn't he? That's concerning. Anyway, but it's, you know when you have a family resemblance, you're like, wow, that looks like the mum, or wow, that looks like... The... This is, that's not what it's saying here. The writer is not saying there's a family resemblance. Sorry about that, dad. Um, the writer is saying something completely different. The writer is saying is that it's the same thing. Jesus God is the same thing. When it's the exact image. So when they brand cattle, they get a branding iron and they, they, it's the exact image. I do this with my children so they know that they belong to me. No, I don't. But the, the image is the exact image as the branding iron. And this, this verse is saying that, that Jesus is the exact image of God. Jesus, according to this verse, is the earthly counterpart of the Father. You want to see God? Do you know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. See Jesus. In fact, Jesus said this. Look at this in John 14, 9. Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen what? The Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And not long after that, one of the, the, the religious leaders that they wanted to do, they wanted to kill Jesus right there. And Jesus escaped because he was, he was saying, people say that Jesus never claimed to be God. He didn't say, I am God. But this is what this statement is saying. 
And we know that because he says, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. But we also know that by the reaction of the people. They pick up rocks and say, you can't, be, you can't say you're God. Jesus was claiming to be God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we come back to this point. Because of Christmas, God has a face. Okay? God has a face. Why does God have a face? Because God has a purpose. Because of Christmas, God has a face. God has a face because God has a purpose. What is that purpose? What is the purpose of Christmas, you could say? The purpose of God having a face, the purpose of Christmas is because he comes to save and rescue. We need to remember this every Christmas because we can get caught up in the moralistic aspect of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that Jesus comes to make us good people. No, Jesus comes to save and to rescue. Because of Christmas, God has a face. God has a faith. Uh, God has a face because God has a purpose. The only reason that God has a face, the only reason that God comes down to us as one of us, is because there's a purpose there, and that purpose is to save, to rescue. And we sing about it in all these Christmas carols. People who, who don't even believe in God are singing about this, these things. Look at Charles Wesley's carol, Hark the Herald the Angels Sing. It says, Hark, <laughs> I was going to sing that. Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. It sounds bad when you don't do the tune, eh? Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. What does it then say? God and sinners reconciled. That means Jesus comes to bring God and sinners, we're the sinners by the way, together to bridge that gap, to get rid of the stuff that's in the middle. Then we see it in uh, another carol, the um, carol about Mary's bore child. Hark now hear the angels sing. A king was born today and man will live forevermore because of Christmas Day. A king was born today and man, we will live forevermore. Why? Because of Christmas Day. Silent night. Silent night. Holy night. Shepherds quake at the sight. Glorious stream from heaven above. Heavenly hosts sing hallelujah. Christ the what? The saviour. Not Christ the good moral teacher. Not Christ the person who will make you a better person. Not Christ who, who started in a religion. No, Christ the saviour is born. Christ the saviour is born. Because of Christmas, God has a face. God has a face because God has a purpose. The purpose of Christmas is salvation. The purpose of Christmas is salvation. And so when we think of joy and peace and hope and love and we light these candles and one of them's gone out, when we think of uh, all of those words, hope, well, salvation brings hope. It means we're not just here for the here and now. That means there's something greater than us. There's something beyond the today. Peace, the salvation brings peace between us and God and ultimately between us and each other's joy. If you want to have an underlying and everlasting joy, that can only happen through knowing the Saviour Jesus. Love, well, that Jesus comes to us to save is the ultimate demonstration of love. Because of Christmas, God has a face. God has a face because God has a purpose and the purpose of Christmas is salvation. Look at that very first Christmas or a little bit before when, when Joseph has an angel talk to him. When he hears that Mary was pregnant, he's thinking, what am I going to do? Matthew uh, verse 21, uh, chapter 1 verse 21 says, and, and you are to give him the name Jesus. So he, he gets the same instructions as Mary, so there's no fighting. Uh, you're to give him the name Jesus. And what does it then say? Because he will teach people really good things. No, he will save his people from their sins. It's very clear. The purpose of Christmas is salvation, to save us from our sins. We see this in Luke's account as well, which we read. Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a saviour. What does a saviour do? Yeah, rescues people. That's the salvation part. Has been born for you. What a beautiful verse. That means it's personal for you. That the salvation part is for you. Been born for you and he is Christ the Lord. 
And Jesus said it, Luke 19, verse 10, he said, Jesus said to them, he's talking to a crowd, today salvation has come to this house. Who walked into the house? Jesus. So he's saying he is salvation. He brings salvation. Matthew 20, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to go uh, to give his life as a ransom for many. Acts, the early church, verse four, chapter 4, verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. This is critical. This is so, so important. And you might think, oh, you've heard this before, but you cannot find salvation in anything else. It says it right here, salvation is found in no one else, not in Buddha, not in Muhammad, not in coming to church, not in Anthony the pastor, not in uh, praying your rosary beads, not in buying stuff for people who who don't have anything. No, salvation is found in, in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind, but which must be saved. And it's talk, and then it goes on and talks about Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Because of Christmas, we can, we can be saved. Look at this quote here, Michael Green, a theologian. Uh, he says this, So here, at the announcement of Jesus' birth, we are brought face to face with the central theme of the gospel. God, who has been at work on his people uh, since the times of Abraham, has come among them in person. And he has come for the specific purpose of rescuing them from the mess they have got themselves into. Have you got yourself into a mess? All of humanity is in a mess and needs to be rescued. Christianity is not good advice about morals, and it is, in the sense it does bring good advice, but that's not what it's about. It's not good news, it, sorry, it is good news about God and what he has done for us. Because of Christmas, God has a face. God has a face because God has a purpose, and the purpose of Christmas is salvation. He might say, I don't need to be rescued. Well, you do. All of us do. All of us need to be rescued. Over the years, I've asked people what they need to be saved from, and, and, and I get different people respond differently. Some people say, my waistline, I'm overeating. Some people say, I need to be saved from my debts or my bank account. Some people say, I need to be saved from my job. I hate it, or it's just mundane. And maybe you need to be saved from Christmas stress global warming. What's, what's the big one at the moment? COVID-19. It's just there. We need to be saved from COVID-19 and vaccines and lockdowns. Maybe sickness. A genuine one. I want to be saved from sickness. You know, we, we got some people in our congregation at the moment who are, are really sick. We need to be praying for them and also then helping practically. But what do you need to be saved from? One guy actually said to me uh, that he needed to be saved from his wife. Um, and that wasn't, the relationship was great. It's just that he had a list of things he had to do and he hadn't done it. So he said, please, I need to be saved. I, over the years, I've also heard people say quite often, I need to be saved from myself. I need to be, and I think that's quite an interesting one, that you need to be saved from yourself because generally we know that we, we get ourselves in a mess. What do we need to be saved from some of our biggest problems a lot of the time is, is ourselves, our own reaction, our own fears, our own inadequacies that cause things to happen. We act in stupid ways, need to be saved from myself. The Bible says this, that God comes to us as one of us to save us, but our salvation is three-dimensional. We'll wrap it up here. This is what we see. So because of Christmas, God has a face. God has a face. You change that pretty quick, but that's all right. Because God has a purpose. The purpose of Christmas is salvation. And that salvation is threefold. Thank you, Campbell. You can change it now. Three dimensions. You are saved from something. You are saved for something. And you are saved by something. You're saved from something. You're saved for something. And you're saved by something. What are you saved from? First thing is this. Saved from my sin. Look what Romans uh, 3.23 says. For all, have, for all have sinned. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. We've dropped the ball. We've made this mistake. We have a, there's a gap between us and God. Okay? But the verse goes, if that was it, then we, we would just go and it was, it's the end of the story. But it's not the end of the story. Because it goes on and say, all are justified freely by His grace 
God's grace through the redemption, the paying off that came through Christ Jesus. Sin separates us from God. You've probably seen me do this illustration before. If that was God and, 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 and this is me, uh, if there's no sin in my life, I can, I can have access to God. But, but if all my sins were listed in this book, it'd probably be heavier than this. But now there's, now there's, a, there's something between me and God. And what Jesus does is he comes, God has a face. God has a face because God has a purpose and that purpose is to take that. So now God is there. I now have access to God. God takes that. Jesus takes that. He removes that from me. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin or the cost of sin is death. The cost of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Remember what the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring good news that uh, will cause great joy for all people today in the town of David. A saviour has been born. We're saved from sin. We're saved from sin. What forgiveness do you need? Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus before. Maybe you've just you've taken on the good stuff that you think or the teaching, but that's not that's not you're only having a little piece of Jesus. That doesn't bring salvation. It's about saying, yes, I know, I've sinned, I've dropped the ball, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Come into my life, Jesus. I believe in you. Thank you. What has God saved us from? God saves us from sin. If we're not saved from sin, then we stay separated from God. The Bible said that that path leads to destruction. The beautiful thing of Christmas, the beautiful thing in Christmas is that it, that's not the end of the story. We're saved from sin. But not only are we saved from something, we're saved for something. What are we saved for? We're saved for a purpose. We're saved for a purpose. And I think we looked at this passage um, a few weeks ago with Peter. But, but God saves us from sin, but he also saves us for a purpose. A purpose means we have something to do. A plan. To be, firstly, to be transformed, to become more like Jesus. So when you become a Christian, you become part of a movement. The greatest movement the world has ever seen, by the way. So yes, salvation is individual in that you accept it or reject it. But then it becomes part of this movement where you become part of this family, this house, this, this temple. And, and there's a task. And our task is we are sent together to heal. To bring healing throughout this world to bring gifts, to, to, to show goodness, to love people. And Jesus empowers us with his spirit, God's Holy Spirit, to live in us. And we are to be resurrected hopes in our workplaces, in our communities, in our families, in our schools. We're not here just to come to church, sing some songs and go home. We're not here just to be saved and have the security that, oh, I'm going to heaven. No, we're saved from sin, but we're saved for a purpose. And that is to reflect Jesus in all aspects of our life, in all aspects of our community. Not just to exist, not to survive, not to thrive personally just for ourselves and build our kingdom, but be a part of God's mission. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 there on the screen says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is, is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast you've done nothing to earn it. And then it says, For we are God's handiwork. I think we looked at this passage, didn't we, Peter, a few weeks ago. We are God's masterpiece, or God, some, some translations say it's like a poem. Other, others say that we're like a... Like a um, a piece of pottery and, and God's making, making us, crafting us. But then it says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It doesn't say created in Christ Jesus just to turn up to church and, and, and feel like you're spiritual. It doesn't say created in Jesus just to get your salvation and do nothing. No, we're created in Jesus to do good works. Does that good work save us? No. But once we accept Jesus, our response is to actually do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. What is your purpose? You've been saved for a purpose. You've been saved for a reason. Not all of us have to be missionaries and go to China or Africa, but, but we are to live Jesus in our day-to-day -day communities. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. Saved 
for a purpose. Whatever that is, finance, resources, time, uh, to use that for the, for the glory of God. So we're saved from sin, we're saved for a purpose, and we're also saved by something. What are we saved by? Anyone want to guess? Oh, gosh, grace. Very good. Who said that? Top marks. Excellent job. Saved by grace. Saved from sin. Saved for a purpose. And we're, we're saved by grace. We go back to that Ephesian, or next slide will show us the Ephesian passage, which we just read. For it is by grace you have been saved. Meaning it is a free gift. These things here, we don't take them to the kids and say, here you go, all right, 20 bucks. That wouldn't be great, would it? Actually, we've got to pay for it now that you've unwrapped it, you know. It's, not, it's a gift. Didn't deserve it. We don't know these kids. They haven't earned it. It's the same here with salvation. is a gift from God. It is grace. You've been saved uh, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. You haven't done anything, but it is a gift of God. And here's the thing. We're saved by God's grace. Nothing that we do. It's him that has decided. Grace simply means it's unmerited. It's unearned love. It's unearned favour of God. I love what Rick Warren says. Rick Warren defines grace as God's riches given to you at Christ's expense. Look at this passage here in 2 Timothy. It says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or, or, or of me, his prisoner. He was, when Paul was writing this, I think he was in prison. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I don't want to suffer for the gospel. I want to sit and watch basketball and air conditioning. If I'm honest, we can consume Christianity. We can consume Christmas. In this passage here, Paul is saying, no, we must suffer for the gospel. It's a great joy to suffer for the gospel. We have the power of God, it says, by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. So we're saved, meaning that's we're saved from sin. Then he has called us, meaning a purpose for a holy life. Not because anything we've done. Not because you grew up in the church. Not because you even go to church. Not because you're better than your neighbour or anyone else. No. Because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus from the beginning of time. Uh, you don't save yourself. We can't save ourselves. We accept it. I read a story about a, a young lady who was on the beach, probably uh, similar as uh, Natalie there. She was eight months pregnant, although Natalie's 11 months pregnant. And she's just watching. This was in Coffs Harbour. And she was on the sand. And she noticed three little kids in the water were struggling to swim putting their arms up and then she noticed on the shore a mum in distress you know how you can tell when someone it's it's scary it's different the way they're yelling out it was like that and uh, they were African family and that uh, just migrated to Australia this lady couldn't swim her children were drowning and so this lady was sitting there and she was hoping someone else would get up and do something thinking uh, she's looking she's like do I need to reapply no, she didn't think that. She, she, she was wondering, do I go in? And then she's like, no one else is. And so this eight-month-old pregnant, eight pregnant lady jumped into the water. She actually was a lifeguard. She'd done lifeguard training. And she swam towards these two kids. It was only two, sorry, two boys. And she grabbed both of them. And as you can imagine, when you're drowning, what do you do? And so she's now trying to hold... She's actually one, two, three. She's holding three people in that moment, okay? She's holding them up, trying to keep them above water, and she does that, and eventually someone else comes and holds them, and, and they swim back to shore, uh, and uh, they save these, these, these two boys. Obviously, the family were over the moon, and so, so thankful. Uh, 23 days later, she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, um, but, but she could have just sat there and done nothing, Someone else would do it. She goes in. These kids, we are like those children. In fact, probably a little bit different in that we don't realise we're drowning. We think we're saving ourselves with our bank accounts and our fast cars and our cool jobs or the fact that we read the Bible. We can't save ourselves, only through Jesus. 
Any lifeguards here? Hands up if you've done lifeguard. Oh, gee, I'm not going swimming with any of you guys. There's not one person that's done lifeguard. Oh, Kate. All right, we're all going to the beach and Kate will be watching. You've done your bronze medallion. If you have done your lifeguard, you'll know that you cannot save somebody if they're what? Trying to save themselves. In fact, I think they advise against it. I think when you get up close, you have to tell them to relax. Or you, or you go in like that in case, give them the boof. Um, because if, if they're not willing to be saved, they're going to actually drown you, I think is the theory. Not the theory, that's what actually happens. Because they're thrashing around. They have to be willing to be saved. You can't save someone who's trying to save themselves. We, or some of us, or, or, or humanity for years, have, as we try to save ourselves. Jesus says you're saved by grace. Quit thrashing around. Quit building idols. Quit trying to decide and figure out what God looks like. You've seen him. You've seen him in me. God has a face. Because of Christmas, God has a face. God has a face because God has a purpose. That purpose, or the purpose of Christmas, is salvation. Saved from sin, saved for a purpose, and saved by grace. Hopefully you have your communion Oh, gee, that wasn't very reverent, was it? A way to treat, treat. Yeah, you can grab your communion. I don't know, if you, if you haven't said yes to Jesus and you are thinking about it, I would encourage you this morning to go to the prayer point and have a chat to the person there or even myself if you want um, because that's what the Christmas story and message is about. And this morning as we open up our communion, I want us to reflect on what we're saved from in and remember what we're saved from. The, the, the message of Christmas is actually the message of Easter. You've probably heard me say that numerous times. That Jesus comes because he's heading towards the cross. He comes and he reminds us to do this. He reminds us to gather. Remember the broken body that he, he endured so that he could save us from our sins. So he could save us for for a purpose, so he, he saves us by his grace. The grape juice, which represents the blood that does all of those things as well. When we take communion, the other thing it does, and, and, the, and the scripture says that we are to do this until he returns. It's interesting when Leanne got up and she said, um, oh, 2,000 years, I think you said something about 2,000 years, he came down, where is he now? And so when we take this, we remind ourselves that he is here. He's in you. If you said yes to Jesus, he is in you. If Christians, people next to you, he's in them. Our purpose is to live that life, to reflect Jesus, to help minister in reconciling people with him. So this morning, as we take the bread or the, the little wafer, I want us to reflect on what you've been saved from in your life. I'll let you take this in your own time and, and we'll drink the juice together. But just now reflect on what you've been saved from. We're going to now drink the, the juice. So if you want to open that. And this juice, again, is a symbol reflecting the, the blood of Jesus that allows all those things, saved from sin, saved for purpose, saved by grace. And before we drink it, I want, I'm just going to read, you may know this poem. And just close your eyes and listen to the words of this poem. And then we will drink at the end of this.
He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was a preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of these things. One usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. 20 centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. Or the armies that ever marched, or the navies that ever sailed, or the parliament that ever sat, or the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on earth as much as that one solitary life. And that is Jesus. And this morning when we drink together, we celebrate that, we remember that, and we look forward to his return. Let's drink together. Most gracious Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a gracious Father. You're a God that loves. We thank you for Christmas because of Christmas, you have a face. And you have a face because you have a purpose and that purpose is to bring salvation. Thank you for that, Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who, who wants to, to say yes to you, to, to, to become a Christian, I think of that verse in Psalms that says, Today, if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart. If that is you this morning, do not harden your heart. Please speak to someone. Receive the free gift of grace, the free gift of salvation through Jesus. Lord, help us to live the way you've called us to live. You saved us for a purpose. Help us not to be selfish. Help us to, to be loving and caring and, and, and to, to share your love, to speak the truth, to share the gospel to others, Father, in this world, especially during this time of Christmas. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's stand together and sing this final song.